What's up y'all, welcome back to In The Wild and back in the Maxwell house is our outstanding, amazing <laughs> intern, Kitana Johns. Hello, What's up? Hello, Hello, how are we doing today? So we're a few weeks into semester. How's your semester going so far? It's going fairly well, I would say. Um, I'm doing good with managing my time, managing assignments and stuff. I've been able to meet deadlines. So everything's been going pretty well. How about for you, because you do grad school? Yeah. It's been, so far, so good. It's been smooth. Uh, have you had any senioritis moments yet? No, I will say, because I know if I have, if I have senioritis, like, starting now, I, I might as well stay back a whole nother semester. <laughs> I might as well stay back. But no, I haven't, I haven't um, had senioritis or anything. Well, it's February, and February is probably my favorite winter month. One, because it's closest to spring, and that's, that's my time to shine but also because it's Black History Month. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious to hear how do you celebrate or uh, what do you do for Black History Month? Um, the way I celebrate Black History Month is by being unapologetically Black. Uh, that's the best way I celebrate it. I have the Afro out, I'm carrying, <laughs> I'm carrying a pick in my hair. Those, that's mostly what I do to like celebrate or tell other Black people happy Black History Month or sharing knowledge with them as well. That's mostly what I do. Uh, for me, what I like to do is, um, well, I want to say it's a little different take, but mm -hmm. instead of tr like focusing on the same individuals that we shed a lot of light on for being trailblazers uh, for civil rights, I try to find new people to learn about. Right. Uh, okay. Especially locally. So I know last year, we talked to some of our trailblazers here at uh, MCG, which was really awesome to uh, learn about their stories and their history. So that's what I like to do every uh, year this month rolls around, is try to find someone, whether they're local in the community or just someone I'm not unfamiliar with and kind of learn about yeah. something that they I have done. I think I'm gonna start doing that. That sounds like a really good idea. I didn't even think about locals. I'm thinking about history in total, but I'm not even thinking about what we have here in Augusta. I'm gonna start doing that actually. Yeah, Augusta is rich with uh, black history, black culture. Um, so there's always something new to learn. Right. Um, but yeah, just doing a deep dive of internet searches for stuff that's going on, uh, or people that have done stuff is what I like to do. Um, so yeah, and I'm really excited about this episode because we're going to, well, really all month because we're going to talk right. to some amazing people. Uh, we have some really exciting stuff planned, which I'm excited about. Um, and then we're going to go to a new location. Uh, give them something new to see. Yeah, give, yeah. give them a little new, uh, new set, I guess, <laughs> which I'm really excited for. So y'all stay tuned. And when we come back, we will get started with all of our celebration for Black History Month. Hi, my name is Dr. Quentin Davis. I'm the director for the Center for Undergraduate Research and Scholarship, known on campus as CURS. Our mission is to support undergraduates in the pursuit of discovering new information, investigating factors of influence, and innovating original work under the collaborative guidance of a faculty mentor. Our students work with faculty in history, psychology, the Georgia Cancer Center, family medicine, animation, the Vision Discovery Institute, and more. We help you to investigate topics of interest alongside a faculty mentor. These research experiences can open your world to possibilities of study that you never knew existed. Along the way, the skills that you build in the research setting 
will help you as you transition to the workforce or a graduate program. Research experiences are intellectual, social, and professional. AU students present their work at local, regional, and national conferences at both the undergraduate and professional level. We support students with travel grants to present or collect their data, and we offer multiple research fellowships. Research participation is something that will stick with you forever. Don't be afraid to come ask how we can help you engage in an unforgettable, hands-on learning experience. Welcome back to In the Wild, and joining me is a very special guest. He called me the celebrity, but I think he is the celebrity on campus here. He is our Chief Diversity Officer for the AU Health System. So give a warm general welcome to Mr. Brendan Francois. How's it going? Thank you. I am absolutely honored to be here and to sit with you and to come into the wild. Yes. Um, so since becoming our Chief Diversity Officer for AU Health, uh, can you tell us how this role is different from how you served AU Health in the past? Well, for the first 26 years of working in the health system, I worked in pastoral care. And that work is primarily serving families and patients, delivering bad news or supporting people through a bad diagnosis or through the death or loss of someone. And so it's, it's helping hurting people, uh, hurting hearts and broken lives. In this capacity, it's very similar, but there is so much more meaning in that we're helping people experience life-changing um, experiences. And we're able to help people progress from where they are to where they desire to be. We're helping individuals, and we're helping a health system become stronger and more efficient at connecting with its employees and with the community that we serve. Um, so what are some of your challenges within being the Chief Diversity Officer? Well, one of the primary challenges is getting buy-in. The health system is a very busy community. I mean, everybody's working, and their focus is on the patient and getting people well, and all of the administration that goes around that. And so part of my challenge is helping people realize that DEI is not something additional, something added onto the plate. It's not something we go to do, but DEI is something we do as we go. And so the big challenge is helping people to recognize that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a uh, is, is becoming a natural part of how we do business, a natural part of how we interact and communicate, a natural uh, a part of how we engage patients and how we engage family. And so recognizing that and helping our community understand that is, has been the big challenge. But I'm discovering that, that in our community, uh, our staff and our employees are, are taking that challenge on and they're embracing it. So... Going off of that, how would you describe your role to someone who wouldn't be familiar with uh, diversity and inclusion in the workplace? So one of the ways I would um, describe it is through an acronym that, that, that I developed when I took on the responsibilities of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that, that acronym is WEB, W-E-B, which stands for where everyone 
belongs. And so if someone asked me, you know, what my role was, it's to help every employee in the health system uh, feel a sense of belonging, uh, that they're valued, that they matter that they can bring their authentic self to work every day and be embraced, their ideas be accepted and used, and that this is where they're supposed to be. In a similar way, having patients and families have a similar feeling of belonging, that this is the place I choose anytime I want my health care done. Well, why would, why would anybody choose a place? Why would they make that their priority for health care? It's because when they come they are accepted, they are treated fairly and equitably, and that we care about the person, the person that they are. And so when people ask me, you know, what are you doing? We're helping people feel this sense of belonging and knowing that AU Health is the place for them. So you serve patients as well as employees for AU Health? Yes. As a matter of fact, the, the, the majority of my work currently is with employees. And so with DEI, it starts with leaders. I believe in the top-down approach to DEI. And so it starts with our executive leaders and then our uh, middle uh, leaders. And what we're doing now is providing training, insight, and information to help leaders understand the importance of their role in embracing DEI and then incorporating DEI into, into the fabric of the work that they do. So how did you get involved in this field of work because I feel like it's you can't just walk into it right you're absolutely right and and you know my background is in uh, pastoral care um, my education is in uh, pastoral care and so how do you get involved with this well I think my training related to DEI goes all the way back to my childhood um, I think it's obvious that I'm a black male and I grew up in the segregated south and I recall as a boy, you know, wondering why things were so different and in my mind wanting to do something to bring people together. By the time I got to college, that still was a priority in my life. And even by the selection of my college, I believe I was being prepared to do, do this kind of work. Then in my public speaking and in my work in the hospital, I've been very intentional about helping people recognize the importance of embracing differences and treating people equitably. Uh, as the Associate Director of Pastoral Care, I um, planned annual clergy conferences. The last clergy conference I planned was on social justice helping the health community, healthcare community and the larger community understand the challenges that we face in the social justice realm. Then, um, through a mindfulness program, I partnered with the City of Augusta, uh, Richmond County Police Department uh, to teach mindfulness training to officers to help them mellow out and recognize uh, that all people matter and in the aftermath of that uh, mindfulness training that we did with Richmond County police officers, I had this conversation with black males and police officers. And this was long before the George Floyd incident. We could see, um, you know, as they would say in the tea leaves, that something was brewing that wasn't positive. And we didn't want that to happen in Augusta. And so we sat down with uh, members of Richmond County uh, Sheriff's Office with members of the Marshal's Office 
and with black and white males from the community, and we began having conversations. And so long before I took on the role of chief diversity officer, a part of my life has been to bring people together. I believe that's what I'm called to do anyway. And so part of my accepting this role, I believe, is me fulfilling the calling on my life to be a difference maker in this healthcare community and in the city of Augusta. So speaking of the community of Augusta, um, recently you, uh, you were featured in a Jaguar article where you mentioned that the pandemic was a huge eye-opener for the healthcare community about mistrust especially as it relates to black Americans and people of color. Uh, could you go further into detail about your thoughts on that? Sure. So the pandemic brought to light a number of disparities. And, the, and one of the disparities is, is that within the African-American community or the black community, there has been this level of distrust with the health community. And, and because there's distrust, people don't, readily come to the health system or to a hospital for help. They're questioning every little thing. Well, in the aftermath of the pandemic, there was this uh, vaccination that could help prevent or well, prevent death due to COVID. It may not prevent you from getting COVID, but, but it would prevent you from dying. And there were large numbers of minorities around the country who were very hesitant to, well, to take the vaccination because you go back to a number of, of, of times when, when black people were mistreated or they were used as guinea pigs, and people begin to wonder, is, is that this situation too? And so there was a lot of hesitancy. What I'm very proud of is at AU Health and in uh, the city of Augusta, we were very intentional about educating the minority community. And so there were education sites set up at trusted places like churches and community centers where conversations could be had, accurate information could be given. And as a result, Augusta was one of the leading places uh, in the United States where minorities were, in fact, vaccinated. But that came with a lot of work and a lot of effort. And it takes that kind of effort. It takes conversation. It takes going on another person's turf to build confidence and rapport. And so the pandemic revealed a number of inequities that Augusta worked hard at addressing. So how do we, I guess, continue to move forward from that? Um, right now, we're in a unique stage where the pandemic is more behind us and there's still that mistrust. So how do you think, well, I guess at least AU Health could help continue to bridge that gap? And that's a big part of, of my work at AU Health. We want to join hands with the community. So how does it work? Well, I heard Jesse Owens uh, say once, if you walk together long enough and you talk together long enough, there's nothing you can't solve. I believe trust is based on knowing and being known. You've heard the term stranger danger. And, and it comes from the fact that I don't know that person, so I'm not sure I can trust them. And the same is true in the healthcare community. I don't know that doctor. I don't know that nurse. I don't know those people. Why should I trust them? But when we take time to get to know one another, when we spend time in conversation, when we take the time to go on someone else's turf, 
That's when trust is built. And so the health system has been very intentional about building relationships with community groups and joining hands with those groups. To give you an example, um, we have a, a pipeline program where we're introducing uh, young people from underserved communities to healthcare careers. Through that program, we call it the Power Collaborative, we have adopted um, a local school, Hornsby Middle School, which is in an underserved area with large numbers of young people who, who, who may be in a distrusting relationship with health, with, you know, with hospitals, we are now in relationship with them. We support them in their sporting events, in their academic pursuits. We provide insight and, and opportunities for them. And as a result, that community now is much more trusting of the healthcare community because we spend time with them, not in the hospital, but on their turf. And I believe the more we do that, the more trusting the community will become. And so we're looking at other ways to build relationships with the community around us. And considering that you've been here for a number of years, um, how do you think we're doing in bridging the gap? Well, I think we got a slow start, but I believe we're off now to a great start. We've got a long way to go. There's so much uh, to be done. But inch by inch, anything's a cinch. And so we're taking it one step at a, one step at a time. Uh, I'm grateful for partners like uh, Bernard uh, Robertson, who is now our DEI manager in the health system. I'm thankful for a DEI council, which uh, comprises of a variety of leaders throughout the health system from a diverse background uh, supporting this effort and helping us to make decisions. Uh, I'm grateful that we now have affinity groups in the health system, employee affinity groups, where people who may at one time felt um, left out, not understood, now has a community through which they can express who they are and what's important to them, and the health system can hear from them and, and embrace them. Uh, and we have another, uh, a number of other initiatives that we are embracing to help us take that slow, steady ascent to being better at creating the web, the place where everyone belongs. Would you say that this is unique for our health care system to take on such an uh, so many initiatives, or is this becoming the norm? Well, I believe that jo the George Floyd incident awakened in our nation uh, an understanding of the, the problems that exist. Now, those were social justice problems. Diversity, equity, and inclusion embraces and supports social justice issues, but diversity is broader than even that. And so there are other communities, the LBGT uh, plus community, Q plus community, um, the uh, disabled community, the veterans community. What DEI does is shine a light on all of these diverse components that make up healthcare and that make up our population. And hospitals, businesses around the globe are now recognizing the power and the effectiveness of embracing DEI. Not only does it contribute to a more confident, involved uh, workforce, but it also contributes to a more positive bottom line. Uh, institutions that embrace DEI and practice DEI are much more profitable. In terms of turnover, you know, we live in a day and age where people aren't staying on jobs for long periods of time. They're leaving. 
DI helps with retention of employees. And in the health system, every time you keep a nurse uh, or every time you lose a nurse, you're talking literally thousands of dollars to replace that person. If we can find ways to keep nurses and, and keep other professionals, we're saving institutions boatloads of money. And so DI helps in a variety of ways, and there are uh, health systems and business and corporations around the globe that are embracing DEI as a result of that understanding. Yes, I'm looking forward to what the next few years will have in store for AU Health, but also health systems all across the state and nation. But my last question before I let you go, that is Black History Month. Um, and how do you like to celebrate Black History Month? Well, that's a great question. One, um, I love reading. Uh, every year doing Black History Month, I read a new book. And so I'm, I'm looking for the book that I'm going to read this year. I also like reviewing films that, that extenuate black history. And then there are expos and programs that I attend throughout the state of Georgia. Often I'm asked to speak at those, but the ones I really enjoy, the ones that I get a chance to sit back and engage. But one of the things I'm doing this year is, in Augusta, there are so many people that are, are rich in black history. And so I'm having conversations with people who know Augusta history and, and know uh, the components that make Augusta special. And one of the reasons I'm having those conversations is because conversations with those people helps me to understand the patients and the population that we serve. And then it helps me to be able to properly train and inform our employees because they are the, they are the faces that the community of Augusta will interact with. And so um, engaging and learning from Augustans uh, about the black history of this city is one of the things I'm doing this year. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and I look forward to seeing all the amazing things that you continue to do for AU Health. Well, I'm excited about joining hands with uh, Augusta University's new Chief Diversity Officer, Dr. Gary Green. He is a phenomenal ally to the work we're doing. And like you, I'm excited about our future. Hi, so I'm Dr. Lorraine Evans, and I'm the Executive Director of the Academic Success Center. Augusta University wants all of our students to be successful inside and outside of the classroom. And the Academic Success Center is for that inside of the classroom part. We want all of our students to be able to reach their goals and their academic potential. At the Academic Success Center, we have peer tutors, and these are students who have taken the classes that you are now visiting them for so they can help you learn the strategies and skills and things that you need to do for that course. We also have peer coaches, and peer coaches are going to help you with time management and a new study strategies for those courses that you haven't had before. And then we have our workshops. And so once or twice a week, we have workshops that are about topics specific to that week. So we'll have exam preparation um, workshops, or we'll have workshops about how to you know, manage your final schedule type thing. The Academic Success Center is here to help you be successful in your classes, and we hope to see you here. Welcome back, y'all, to In the Wild. And joining us is a very special guest. He is the assistant professor in the Institute of Public and Preventative Health 
and in the Department of Population Health Sciences. And today he's going to talk to us about the Healthy Georgia Report. So give a warm Jaguar welcome to Dr. Biplop Dada. How's That's it going? Great. It's good and uh, wonderful to be here. <laughs> yes, thank you so much uh, for being here. Uh, getting started, you previously worked for the CDC, mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. What was that like and how did you end up here at Augusta University? So working for CDC was a really great experience because that was my first time exposure to public health issues. And uh, while I was working there, I basically worked in the chronic disease uh, things. So, but like, you know, like CDC, working for CDC is good at the same time, there are some limitations, like I cannot do my own research, there are less discretion. So I always wanted to come back to academia and Augusta University was a very good fit given its unique uh, position. Like we are the kind of institution that serves both urban and rural population. So there are lots of opportunities to do about public and population health. So that makes me interested and I just move here. And uh, like uh, my experience in CDC are definitely helping me out in uh, advancing my research and other projects in Augusta University that will definitely that I should acknowledge. How did you decide you wanted to be a researcher and why public health? Uh, honest answer is by chance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the thing, I'm, I'm an economist by training. But like economics is a uh, is a subject that has like so much reach. It can it can do almost anything. Almost it can uh, uh, navigate almost any subject. So public health is I think one of the areas where uh, the contribution of economics is relatively lower because like we have epidemiologists, we have our statisticians, we have lots of different people from different disciplines working in public health. So economics is another important component of public health which I thought could complement the skill set of other professionals from different disciplines in public health because always we want to know about a comprehensive picture and like uh, we are different pieces of it. So economics is one piece, epidemiology is one piece. So when we put those pieces together, then we can see the comprehensive picture. So that was my motivation to uh, do research and work in public health as an economist using my training to complement the other disciplines in this, uh, in this area. What is the Healthy Georgia Report and why is it important? Health Georgia report is kind of a snapshot of how Georgia is doing. You can, you can say it's a kind of report card <laughs> of uh, Georgian health. So uh, let me just go to a little bit uh, backward, like the, giving you a background of this Healthy Georgia. So I, when I was here, uh, like I said, like it's a unique position, August University in the midst of rural and urban area, and we also have the MCG, the only public uh, medical college in the, uh, in the state. So I think we can do a lot in terms of public health. And what can be done, given our resources, a very low cost intervention was this report, so that we can provide people with information about how we are doing. And we actually have, Three, uh, three things in mind when we work on that. First, this is not the panacea. It will not solve everything. And if you think of a big puzzle, it is the very few pieces of, very few corner pieces of the puzzle. So like, it's not, it's not something uh, like by its own, it cannot do anything. But what it can do is it can uh, connect people. By, by that, I mean like 
if I am a researcher, I can look at this report and can see what are the gaps, what are the interesting areas that requires more research. If I'm a policymaker, I can look at that report and see like uh, what are the areas that resource allocation is needed, that uh, research appraisal is needed. If I am a general common people, I can see like, okay, so this is the situation in Georgia. As a Georgian, should I go and talk about it with my uh, health service provider or should I talk about it in my community? So the first thing, it connects people. And then the very next thing it would do, it will stimulate conversation. Like people will talk about, researchers will talk to the policymakers, the, uh, people will talk to the public health practitioners. So it will stimulate conversation and that is important. And third, it will motivate some policy actions. So these are the three uh, core uh, ideas when we uh, first started working on it. And hopefully it will serve to attain those, uh, those uh, goals in, in future. So how do you go about sharing uh, your findings for this report to others within, or I guess even outside of the community? So that's what we are right now working on, how to increase the reach. So uh, one of the <clears throat> big part of this is to reach out the state lawmakers because they have the authority and they also have the leverage on state policy. So if we can reach them out, that will be helpful. And also they can again reach people in their constituencies. So in that way, uh, that will be another uh, way of communication. And within the Augusta University community, the students, the faculties, the leadership, we continuously talk with each other like how to utilize the information that we have generated in this report for not only further advancing in research, but also implement effective policies that will eventually make our overall health situation better within the state. But like uh, we have a team working on the dissemination, we are still new, so this is the second version of it. And uh, we need to learn a lot, like how to reach out more effectively, but uh, we are doing it. And uh, I just want to add, so this is a like, paper version, but this year we are also uh, launching a website version of it. So like people, they can easily go to the website and look at certain disease condition they're interested in. In future, maybe we'll come up with some app when people can easily access it with smartphones. So it's an ongoing process and uh, day by day, we are hope we will improve over uh, on the outreach of this report. How long did it take you and your team to gather all the data? Uh, the data is kind of, we are limited to what is available. So like this report is basically uh, 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 done on the uh, BRFSS uh, survey that's provided by the CDC. And uh, so the data was out, I think, uh, during September last year. And uh, we have a production uh, timetable for January. So within two <laughs> months, we have to do all this stuff. But the plan is in future, we so you know, like we are going to be a school of public health from this fall. So we'll be, have, we'll be having more faculties, more graduate students, more researchers coming. So in that way, we can uh, be able to make a team so that we can explore the data more efficiently, more effectively. and. Uh, that we can minimize the time of analyzing in that way whenever we have more people working on that. But data is a challenge that we have to <laughs> acknowledge. And because of data, we cannot like uh, cover all the important topics that we wanted to. So, but like compared to last year's report, we have added several more topics this year. And in future, we'll continue doing that given the availability of data. 
Uh, speaking of last year's report, uh, last year was our first time doing mm -hmm. it. Um, so what was the response like when it was published last year? Uh, so the reach was not that much massive that we expected. But like we talk a lot with different faculties. And you know, like Somerville campus and Hilsas campus, they're different. But people from Somerville campus, they reach us out and say, like, this is a good one. We like this thing about the report. And they also tell us we don't like that thing about <laughs> the report. And uh, we tried, like, uh, since I, was, I worked in CDC, I, I sent this copy to my uh, CDC colleagues. And they also appreciated that. And actually, the previous version of the uh, uh, report was uh, posted in one of the CDC websites. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, in that way, like, uh, we, we get good responses. But like, uh, we have to do better than that. Like, the very first thing I said, it was about to connect people, stimulate conversation. And so we have to reach at the community level where more people can see the report and talk about it and generate uh, actions out of it. Is there anything about this year's report that stands out compared to last year? Uh, two, uh, two new topics that we added. And uh, those are kind of frustrating findings for us. So one was the health insurance coverage. And uh, Georgia is doing really poor in that. And we have to do a lot of uh, work to uh, advance in that, in that regard. And another thing is like we also added uh, the COVID vaccination uh, rates in this year's report. And that picture is not good as well. So we have to do a lot, a lot of stuff uh, on that ground. But on the other hand, there are several things that we do really good. I wanted to mention uh, one topic, uh, obesity, which is one of the major risk factors of cardiovascular diseases. And obesity in Georgia is comparable to national level. Whereas like hypertension and high cholesterol, you have a higher rate in Georgia. So in some areas we are doing good, and in some areas we are not doing so good. So the goal of this report is to make researchers delve into those uh, subjects and to figure out why we are doing good and replicate that good things in the areas where we are not doing so good. So in that way, I think uh, this year's report are uh, giving some contrast and some uh, comparison across different topics will help the researchers to delve in, into the areas where we need more research, more understanding. Um, so there were about 20 or so uh, diseases that were kind of mentioned in uh, this year's report, and then, but five in particular uh, stand out with hypertension, cardiovascular disease, uh, tobacco smoking, asthma in children, and children with unmet healthcare needs. Why do you think those five in particular stand out? Uh, like I was saying about the contrast. Let me just give you an example on the tobacco. So I think Georgia ranked somewhere in 20th of the 50 states in the US in terms of tobacco smoking. So it's not that good, not that much, not that bad in between something. But if you look at uh, the prevalence of tobacco smoking in rural and urban areas in Georgia, there's a huge gap. And that gap is higher than the national average gap, rural and urban, uh, in the rest of the US. So even though we are not doing that bad in terms of tobacco smoking, but when you compare the rural-urban gaps, we are doing really bad. So we need to focus on certain populations, certain areas to do better in that particular uh, disease condition or in that uh, or in, in that particular topic. Hypertension 
on the other way, uh, like uh, we are doing bad. Like we are kind of 10th out of 50, 50 straight in terms of uh, hypertension prevalence. So we have to do a lot of work on that. And uh, CBD is similar because hypertension, tobacco smoking, these are all these factors for CBD. And CBD is one of the major uh, cause of death in US. So we have to care for that. So like we need an integrated uh, policy actions conversations, everything, so that we can mitigate the risk factors of CVD, such as hypertension, obesity, tobacco soaping, so and so. That. So that's one, one area. But another area that uh, we added this year for the first time is the child's or children's uh, need for uh, healthcare access. And we find that the prevalence of unmet need is, uh, Georgia is one of the highest among the US states. So we have to do a lot of, uh, a lot of work in that aspect. So these are the kind of uh, like how we are doing in terms of the national average, how we are doing in terms of the regional average. So one interesting thing that I should add here, so the hypertension prevalence in Georgia is higher than the national average, but interestingly, it's lower than the southeast regional average. So we oh, wow. are doing good when we compare ourselves with the other 12 southeastern states. But we are not doing good at the national level. So like we have to figure out what we are doing good within the southeastern region, and then we have to elevate ourselves so that we are also doing good at the national level. So these kind of, kind of comparisons across and within the regional and national, and then across different domains of socio-demographic characteristics. So because of those similarities and contrast, I think these five topics stands out, telling us like how to do better for uh, achieving a good public health scenario in Georgia. What are people's usual reaction to the data presented in the report? So like one obvious uh, uh, response that I received, they haven't seen the data in the way that we presented. So like uh, we try to present the data in terms of socioeconomic, socio-demographic disparities. For example, we know there is a racial disparity or inequity in terms of certain disease condition within Georgia. So we know that and like there are lots of studies and reports provided that information. But what additional stuff we provided, we say, okay, let's compare not only within Georgia in terms of socioeconomic disparities, but let's do it across Georgia. So whenever we are talking about the black population, so there is a disparity maybe in some disease conditions, black and white, within Georgia. But how the blacks in Georgia are doing compared to blacks in the rest of US or blacks in rest of southeastern region? So that is kind of a more nuanced analysis of the direction that we are heading to. And that is something, uh, the feedback we received, like they have not seen that before. Uh, obviously, there are stuffs, but like uh, that, is a, that is, I think, a contribution of us to do that nuanced uh, presentation of the data. So for everyone, just wrapping up here, for everyone watching, where can they go to see the full report? Uh, the full report is available right now in the IPPH website, so like uh, August University IPPH. Uh, and like I said, like we, are we will be launching a new website, so it will be, I hope, healthygeorgia.com info.com, I forgot about that. But like, uh, obviously, uh, we'll provide more information later that, should, that can be posted in uh, our IPPH websites and also August University other websites. And right now, that's the thing. So IPPH website would be the site to go for <laughs> the report. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Dada, for being here um, and just informing us about how healthy Georgia is. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure.